This afternoon we're going to look at the entirety of Psalm 13. But I want to begin with the first passage that Lee read for us in Revelation chapter 21. Because there in verse 5, we read some wonderful words. They are words from God himself. He is telling his people he will be with them. He will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no sorrow. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. For he says, the former things have passed away. There is the joyful prospect of heaven, of being with Christ and ourselves being without sin and without all the consequences of sin. But life is not like that here, is it? This here and now. There is death. There are tears. There are sorrows. There is crying. There is pain. The day will come when those things will be, for, be behind us and forgotten. But right now, that is where we are. This is the world in which we live. Solomon reflected in Ecclesiastes that there is a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. Easy example. You go to a funeral, you expect to mourn. If you go to a wedding, you may not dance. Sometimes you do, the reception. But it's an expression. There's a joy, isn't there? There's a great contrast. Psalm 13 reflects these things that we experience day by day. The sorrows, the crying, the tears, the pain. Days of sorrow. David is afflicted. He's in deep distress. He feels overwhelmed by a long procession and succession of calamities and afflictions. He's even feeling that God has forsaken him. Now that is not possible because David is a true believer, but that's how he feels at this particular moment when he wrote this psalm. He begins, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's the reality that he faces. That's how he feels. That's the situation that confronts him. But we will see, as we work our way through this psalm, that despite the distressing circumstances and the events that have almost overwhelmed him, weighed him down, God has not forgotten him. And in fact, this whole psalm is addressed to God. This is the cry of a believer. This is the cry of a saint of God who's going through a tough time. He is crying out to God. 
And there's a simple threefold division of this psalm. Very simple. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, there is his cry, his heartfelt lament. Then in verses 3 and 4, there is his earnest cry to God. And then in the two remaining verses, his joyful trust in God. I want us to look first of all then at his heartfelt lament. It is a lament. He is grieving. And to lament and to grieve is biblical. To lament is to pour out your sorrows to God. David asks four times in these opening two verses, How long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Have you ever been through a prolonged experience where you simply say, how much longer is this going to go on? There seems no light at the end of the tunnel. It just seems dark. If you've gone through a prolonged illness or a prolonged crisis in your life, you may well have cried out, how long, Lord, is this going to go on for? You may not have reached the depths that this man David reached, but it is not uncommon even for a Christian to feel that God has abandoned them. God has forsaken them. Maybe David, we're not sure of the circumstances, maybe David is thinking of that time when he endured a prolonged persecution by Saul. He was hunted like a partridge on the, on the hills. His enemy, how long will he be exalted over? We cannot be sure of the circumstances that David is facing here. But what we are sure about is that David is in a desperate situation. He makes this heartfelt lament, this complaint. And I don't mean that in a, in a murmuring kind of way, but a complaint, a, a cry out to God. You may remember, at one point in David's life, he, he cried out, I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. That's the cry of a desperate man. That's the cry of one who'd been anointed to be king. And yet here he is saying, it's all up in the air. I may, I may perish at the hand of Saul. And now it is, is, is as if God has hidden his face from him. There in verse 1 again. His presence seems to be a distant memory. He's not able to enjoy God and his blessing. He's crying out, how, how long is this going to go on for, Lord? And again in verse 2, how long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? There's inner turmoil. There's great distress going on in his mind and in his heart. He's grappling with dark thoughts about God and about his circumstances. But again, he is still addressing God. That's the amazing thing here. 
that despite his distress and the depths to which he has gone, he is still addressing God and crying out, How long, Lord? See, such distress, such pain, are not a million miles removed from any of us. There are 101 things that happen to us, even as the saints of God in this world, that bring all kinds of distress to our souls. We live in a fallen world. And there are Christians who feel sometimes that God has forgotten them. We may think that God is displeased with them because of their sin. If that happens, then you need to flee to Christ straight away. But even that sometimes is a difficulty. This heartfelt lament here in verses 1 and 2, I want to make some pointed applications of this point. What is your story reflected in your life, however short, however long? What is your story of pain and sorrow? How have they shaped you? How have they shaped your understanding of God? How do you react and respond when such events threaten to overtake you and you bring, bring you down low? When someone dies, do you shed tears? Do you express your grief in tears? Remember Jacob, even before he knew about the, whether, whether Je Benjamin would die, remember, he was overwhelmed. The thought of losing his beloved son, Benjamin, says, sorrow will bring me down to the grave. Now, those were unfounded, desperate cries, but that's how he felt. Sorrow, tears, distress. It was a lament. You see, when death, in, death, when death comes into our world, as it does, it must, it's, in a, it's an intruder. It's an invader. It's the wages of sin. It's an evil. And if you do not feel any righteous indignation and sorrow in, with facing death, then there's something wrong with us. We are meant to lament. This is a fallen world in which we experience these things. We can't just shut them out and pretend they are not there. This is reality. There's a multitude of sorrows that affect Christians. Chronic health conditions, disabilities, childlessness, a stillbirth, financial problems where our hopes and expectations have been dashed. Sometimes stress in a marriage relationship, in family relationships, a son or a daughter who may dig their heels in and start rebelling against the truth that you have tried to instill in them as a father and as a mother. That is painful. That is distressing. 
What about the problems in the church of Jesus Christ? Some people, when they face difficulties in a church, they walk away and abandon the church. That is not the right way to do it. Sometimes there may be a communal lament. By that I mean more than one person, not just an individual. A church that is undergoing persecution. What are they to do? Our brethren in China, our brethren who live in Muslim lands, where they are threatened, imprisoned, and killed, what should they do? Just be impassive? Or should they not cry out to the Lord and make their griefs and sorrows known? You'll find a grief, a communal lament and grief expressed, for example, in Isaiah chapter 59 and verses 9 to 15. And also the preceding psalm here is effectively a communal lament. Let me ask you this question. Have you learned what I'm calling the grace, the grace of lamenting, of expressing your sorrow before God. I believe that such lamentation is comparatively rare in our day. I'm asking you whether you give voice to your fears, your troubles, your sorrows, and you turn your heart, when it is appropriate, to sing, as it were, a song of lament. You see, what sometimes happens is this. You find a trusted friend, or you pick up the phone, and you pour out all your sorrows to them. Now, that isn't wrong in and of itself. That's what friends are for. But you turn to a human being, first of all, rather than to God. A human being may be able to sympathize with you, but they can't change your circumstances. Your God can. Your God has an ear to hear your cry. There's another reaction which we sometimes make. We pretend everything's okay. You ever done that? You say, uh, uh, I'll, I'll smooth this over. It's not really happening. And you try and live for a few days, a few weeks, pretending that it's not happening. Or you may do something else. You say to yourself, I can handle this. I can cope with this. I'm strong enough. See, you're blotting God out. You're not opening up your heart and grieving. Are you familiar with what's called Stoicism? It was a Greek bunch of philosophers. But they effectively were impassive. They had no feeling. They blotted everything out. English people are sometimes criticized for having a, a stiff upper lip. And that's not characteristic of other nations. They go to an excess. When I was a child, I lived about 800 year, year, year yards away from a Jewish cemetery. 
when the wind was in the right direction, you would hear these people wail. It was over the top. It was an awful sound. It was a, a sound which I'd never heard before or since. But it was wailing. They, that was the way they expressed their grief. Even in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, there were professional wailers who would turn up to your house and wail and weep on behalf of those who had died. But I fear there is a tendency in us to a kind of what I would call a Christian fatalism. Now that's, that, that phrase doesn't make sense because it's not, it's not right. But what I'm trying to say is this, that there is an attitude that creeps in and we say, well, what I'm going through is very sad, yes, but it's the Lord's will. Almost sort of a laid back view. It's the Lord's will. There's nothing I can do to change things. I'll just accept it. After all, God works all things for good. And that's your basic response. That's the end of the matter. Just a reluctant resignation to the situation. Or you may be told, you may have been brought up in a background where you were told, look, if you're a Christian, you are to live victoriously every day, every single day of your life. Don't let these things trouble you. You're on the victory side. You're in Christ. That isn't particularly helpful either. Because again, it is really not facing the situation. What is amazing in this psalm is this. David faces reality. He doesn't pretend it's not happening. He doesn't silence himself. He pours out his heart to God. It's a lamentation. And I would urge you never ever to stifle genuine grief and distress, suppressing, in effect, your God-given emotions, your humanity. It is part and parcel of your humanity. When Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept. And it's interesting, I, I, I reflected on it this morning, I was thinking about it. When Paul heard about his friend Epaphroditus, he was sick unto death, but God spared him. He had mercy upon him. And what does Paul say? We were spared sorrow upon sorrow. Had Epaphroditus died, Paul would have been plunged into grief and sorrow. You see, if you do not know what it is to make this heartfelt lamentation, this cry to God, and pour out your soul and your grief and your burdens and cares and concerns to God, it opens the door to a whole range of evils, frustration, anger, bitterness, resentment, complaining about God in the wrong way, murmuring, or simply just folding your arms, and shutting your mouth and saying nothing. Silence.
you suffer in silence. Or you turn your griefs and sorrows inward and rarely shed a tear. Those are not good for your soul and they are not honoring to God. That's what's happening here now in this Psalm 13. Here is David, a heartfelt lament. He is not ashamed, he is not afraid to go to God and tell him exactly how he feels. A lament is how Christians are to grieve. A heartfelt honesty before God. You voice your grief, you voice your pain to God. You learn to bring your sorrows to God and tell him how you feel. That's what David did, and we can learn from him. If he felt that God had forsaken him and he could still cry out to God, you can do the same, whatever your situation may be. You see, learning to grieve and learning to lament and pour out your heart to God is the first stage in trusting God. This psalm takes us from deep distress to a joyful trust in God. There is progress in this psalm. And having expressed this heartfelt lament, secondly, we see his earnest Cry to God now in verses 3 and 4. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. This is the turning point in the psalm. This is the hinge on which it all turns. Here is a cry to God for help. He lays hold of God. He has burdened God with what burdens him. And now he cries out to God. Despite the feelings of abandonment. He is persuaded this God is my God. And he's laying hold of him and his faithful promises and his mercy. Here is a deliberate and earnest plea. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Those are a few simple words, but they are so full of meaning and significance. He's saying as if, Lord, don't ignore me anymore. That's how it has seemed to me. But consider, hear, look upon me. Look upon me. Give ear to me as I cry out to you. He is bold. He has grasped the nettle, as we say. He's intent on God hearing his plea. It's as if he will not let go. He will wrestle until he knows. This is a life and death struggle. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
That's the reality. That's, that's where I feel I'm going. That's the direction. It's going to overwhelm me. Lord, consider me. Have mercy upon me. Oh, Lord, my God. What would life be like if you had no such God to call upon? Yet there are some of you sitting here today who do not know this God. You cannot cry like David does to this God. What do you do in an hour of distress and despair? You see, this God is for David. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that includes all the events and circumstances. But what if you do not know this God? You're alone. What power do you have against sickness? What power do you have against death? Who can you turn to? You cannot really call upon God because he is not for you. You've not been reconciled to him through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Having said that, I do know of more than one person who wasn't a Christian at the time who cried out, Lord, if you are there, come to my aid. And God in his mercy heard me. It was a, a prayer of desperation. Others may think, well, I'm not going to call upon God. Why is this happening to me? It's unfair. God is harsh. God is cruel. God is unkind. Where is love? Where is the mercy of God? If he, if he was a loving God, he wouldn't treat me and allow this to happen to me. You've spoken to someone who feels that way? Very hard to explain. Then the love of God to them. They are prejudiced. You see, David speaks of the Lord, O Lord, my God. You can turn to him and cry to him. It's an earnest cry to God. He prays, Lord, do not hide your face from me. Instead, enlighten my eyes. Make my eyes shine. You know, when, when someone is down, when someone is low, when they are in distress, you ever see a sparkle in their eyes? <laughs> Doesn't exist, does it? David is praying, in effect, enlighten my eyes. And instead of me wasting away and dying, put a sparkle in my eye. In my tears and in my grief, turn me away from those things, Lord. Jacob was afraid. We've seen that. Job was afraid. I wouldn't think that Job had much sparkle in his eyes all the time he was going through that struggle. All the time his friends, so-called, were attacking him and maligning him and calling him a hypocrite. 
You can tell how people are, can't you, by looking at their face and looking at their eyes. Think of Hannah when she went in to the tabernacle. She was there in bitterness of soul. We read about her in 1 Samuel and chapter 1. She wept in anguish. Sorrow overwhelmed her. But no words came out of her mouth. She was speaking out of her heart. And what did Eli say? What did he think? You're drunk. You're drunk. You're acting very strangely. Yet she was pouring out her heart. She was unburdening herself before God. Only her lips moved. There was no voice. But she was crying out like David to the Lord her God. And for David, there in verse 4, only as his face would be lit up and his eyes would sparkle would his enemy be able not be able then to gloat over him and triumph over him. In their malice, they rejoiced in his sorrows. Hit him while he's down. Hit him again and again. They were pleased to see this man in distress and in trouble. And David couldn't change their hearts. That's why he cried out to God. This then was an earnest cry to the Lord his God. Do you pray like that? It's a very simple prayer, isn't it? Very few words, but it's bold, it's earnest. Remember always that God's ear is very close to a believer's lips. David believed that. That's why he cried out to God in the way that he did. But then we say there is progress in this psalm. It moves from deep distress through earnest cries to a joyful trust, a joyful confidence in God. There is no bitterness, there is no anger, there's no re resentment, there's no stoical silence. That's not the outcome. Having voiced his lament, having cried out to God, here's the outcome. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I, for my part, says David, I put my trust in your mercy. And that word mercy means God's covenant faithfulness, God's covenant love. There is no one word that can translate that mercy of God because it is so full of the power of God, so full of the faithfulness of God, so full of the trustworthiness of God. I have trusted, I've confided, I've cast myself upon you, Lord. You are my hope, you are my refuge, you are my salvation. Sometimes when you read through the Psalms, the psalmist begins 
at this point and then recounts some of the things that he's gone through. But here in Psalm 13, his troubles are put in the forefront. There are many similar psalms. Probably there are about a third of the psalms are actually lamentations. They are cries to God. There's, of course, one whole book in the Bible, the Lamentations of Jeremiah. When you read through the life of Job and what he went through, you could say, in one sense, that's a lamentation. It's a cry out unto God. But here he is confident. His despair, perhaps that's not the right word, because he was not despairing. If you're despairing, you're not really trusting in God. His distress, his inward pain, his inward sorrow, and his anxious thoughts and desires, these changes, these circumstances that have affected me, he's saying, but they can't affect you, Lord. I'm trusting in you. You are the one who can resolve this whole matter. However gloomy the day, however strange your trials, however long they are, however distressing they are, what do we learn from this? To trust in God. Whatever else happens to you, you trust in God. That's the cry of the believer. There is always light at the end of the tunnel. Because God is taking you through those dark paths for a reason. He is sanctifying you. He's teaching you to trust in Him. However dark the day may be. You learn what the Bible calls to wait upon God. To be patient. To be patient. You cannot rely on God too simply. You cannot expect too much from God because He is all wise and all powerful. He is your Father in heaven. He is merciful. He is powerful. He is the Lord your God. Therefore, trust in Him because He has spoken. He is the true and faithful, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. The foundation of your trust and hope lies in Him. There is another psalm of lament. In Psalm 22. Do you know how that psalm begins? My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? It was a cry of David, but it was a cry that was taken up by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And he did not just feel as if God had forsaken him. Because he was made sin for us, there was a sense in which God had forsaken him had turned away from him. He was enduring the wrath of God for us. But he cried out. He expressed his grief and his sorrow. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
But that was not his last word, was it, from the cross? He cried out then later on, it is finished. The work is done. And then his final word. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. There was his trust. There was his trust in God. He is a model for us. David is a model for us. You see, when Jesus shed his blood on that cross, it was the blood of the Son of God became man for us. He is for you. We said that earlier on. If that is the case, if God is for you in Christ, who can be against you? You turn to those words in Romans chapter 8, and they are words that encourage us in the midst of all that we go through in this life. Because Paul says there, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? Paul knew all those things and many things beside. But he was also confident He could never be separated from the love of Christ. And earlier on in that chapter, in verse 32 of Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The one who trusts in God is never destitute. The one who trusts in God is never forsaken by God. However dark the day may seem, however deep your distress, however much your sorrow, whatever your pain cannot separate you from God, from Christ and his love towards you. It's interesting here in Psalm 13, it doesn't come out in the English Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's actually in in the original Hebrew. It's actually in the past tense. You think he's talking about the future because he's at the moment, he's in distress. But so confident is he, he can put it in the past and say, it's going to happen because God is my God. He is going to deal bountifully with me because that is the nature and the character of God. It's a way of saying it's certain. It's done. His opening cry was, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? His closing remark is simple. I will sing to the Lord. What a contrast. What a change has taken place in such a brief time. It's only six verses. Simple words. But he's gone from deep distress He has pleaded with God. And now there is a joyful trust and confidence in God. You see, ultimately, there is no place 
in the life of a Christian for despair and dismay. And that's not the same as saying you won't endure pain, sorrow, you won't be be tearful because of distressing circumstances. But it's another thing to say, I've given up. That's what despair is. You give up on God. You're so dismayed in your soul. But David, from the very moment he opens his mouth, he is crying out to his God. But it begins with a heartfelt lament. He casts his burden upon his God and goes from there to his pleas, to his trust and confidence in God. That's the pattern. His faith in God makes him sure he would never give up on God. Do you have the same confidence in your God? You cry out to him in this manner. It may not be today. It may not be this week. It might be. But at some point in your life, this psalm is going to take on meaning and purpose for you. Because at some point, you are going to face grief and sorrow and distress. While you are in this life, until that glorious day dawns, when Christ returns in glory. And then there will be no more pain. No more tears. God, as it were, will take his handkerchief and wipe away every single tear from your eyes. Even so, come. Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Let's close with the fourth hymn. Commit thou all your griefs and ways into his hands, to his sure truth and tender care, who earth and heaven commands.
now to him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen.